Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 to make tax-deductible donations. Here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. I'm Mike Rayburn, lead pastor here at Gainesville Vineyard. Thanks for joining us on our live stream service. Usually, I make announcements right now, but those are at the beginning of the service, or should I point that way? I don't know. Um, but if you tuned in somewhere in the middle of the singing, or just now, uh, when this is over, go back and watch the first five or six minutes, or it's on a loop, so you don't have to watch that long. It takes, I don't know, 70 seconds to watch all the slides in the beginning and all the announcements are on there so i'm not going to repeat all of that here except i am going to make one announcement because i'm told that i have to um there are three ways that you can give to our church and those are coming up on the screen right now you can text the word give uh to the number there you can go to our website you might be there right now watching this and click on the give button in the upper right hand corner or you can mail checks to our p.o box which is also on the screen Thank you so much to everyone who continues to be faithful and generous in your giving, enabling us to continue to meet all of our obligations and do the work um, that we're called to do and to do the work that we're continuing to do. And some of that work is mentioned in the announcements. So check those out if you didn't see those already. All right, I'm going to move right into the teaching time today. We're in John chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 35 through 38. I'm going to put those up on the screen as well. It says, Don't you have a saying, four more months and then comes the harvest. But I tell you, lift your eyes and look at the fields. See that they are white for a harvest right now. Even now, the one who harvests is getting paid. They are already gathering fruit for eternal life. So the one who sows and the one who harvests can now be glad together. Here is a true saying, one sows and another harvests. I sent you to harvest what you have not worked for. Others have done hard work, and now you have entered into their work. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, the ones who had gone into town to buy him food and left him by the well when he had talked to Sam. They weren't there for his interaction with Sam. And remember when they got back, they were like, why are you talking to this woman, Uh, the Samaritan woman that we keep calling Sam? Uh, and this this is what Jesus says to them. He says, you know, they're like, here, eat. He's like, I don't need your food. I've got food you don't know about. We talked about that. Uh, the meat is in the street a few weeks ago. And then he says what I just read to you to them. He starts with this saying, you have this saying, there are four more months until harvest. Now, what does that saying mean? Basically, it must have been some sort of like common saying or proverb back in the day that meant there was plenty of time to wait in between important moments, that that not all moments were equally important. Uh, They may have used this saying to encourage patience, you know, like the waiting is the hardest part. Uh, They might have used the saying to um, excuse laziness, like, you know, hey, I'll do it tomorrow, 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 but never today, that sort of thing. Um, Bultmann says this, he says, whatever its intentions, the application is clear. In earthly work, there is a place for waiting, whether it is the result of patience or of indolence. The time is not always ripe for decision. Not every present moment is of equal importance. Some only point us forward to the future. That's what the saying means. 
And Jesus brings it up to refute it. Like, like he does in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Uh, in this case, he's making a direct opposite point. He's saying that for followers of Jesus, it's not the case that some moments are more important than other moments. That sometimes we're just marking time in between events. For us, every moment matters. Every moment is sacred. Every moment is ripe for the breaking in of the kingdom of God and the healing of people that God so loves John 3 and is so ardently seeking for, we talked about last week, uh, the God who is seeking us, the worshipers for spirit and truth. So that's what Jesus is saying. Like the time is now, the time is ripe now. You can't be marking time. You always have to be involved in kingdom work. There are no days off. There are no days in between. Um, That's what this saying means. So let's talk about this. We need to talk about this because this this phrase, this passage has been used so much. Uh, and Leslie Newbegin, who you know I love and appreciate, he, he calls this the instant harvest. That, that you know we should always be trying to convert people into Christianity. We should always be doing the work of direct evangelism. And, and Newbegin was an evangelist and, and a missionary, so that was sort of the, his way of thinking. But, but think back to the story we've been talking about for several weeks now, with Jesus and Sam uh, by the well. Uh, what that conversation looked like doesn't look anything like evangelism like you and I have come to understand it. Uh, Jesus isn't trying to, you know, convince her to join a new religious system. Jesus isn't trying to convince her of some theological point. She raises theological points and he's like, that doesn't matter. You know, worship here, worship there, none of that matters. Worship in spirit and truth is what matters. It's completely different from what you're thinking of. And then when Sam goes to tell her neighbors about Jesus, uh, she also doesn't engage in what we would call evangelism. It doesn't look like how we've experienced being evangelized or being trained to do the work of evangelism. And yet this passage, the fields are white unto harvest, has been used uh, my entire life to, to guilt people into doing evangelism. Like you have to be going out and winning souls and saving people from hell and, and preaching and sharing the gospel all the time and doing direct evangelism all the time because harvest, it's all about harvest all the time. But let's think about this passage a little more carefully and see what's going on. Who are these people that are, are ripe for harvest? Uh, first of all, they're not people who have never heard of Yahweh, as we talked about before. These are Samaritans. Um, they've been raised on Torah. They have been raised on the five books of Moses. They they haven't read the prophets. They haven't read Psalms. Uh, but they know they know Moses. Sam knows Moses. She's quite familiar. They were worshiping Yahweh on Mount Gerizim. They were making their sacrifices to atone for their sins. They were worshiping as they understood it. So. Were they ripe for harvest because they were ready for some new religious system? Were they ready because um, their their worship as Samaritans and, and that practice of faith had prepared them for Jesus uh, or, or because their system was broken and they needed something different? Um, Sam at least knows that Messiah has come. Um, the, the, you know, Someone has sown some seed into her so she understands that Messiah is coming and she gets there as we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, but, but what were Jesus and Sam up to here? What was Jesus doing with Sam and what was Sam doing with her neighbors? Uh, 
were they converting them to a new religious system um, or were they setting all of that aside to focus on God as the Papa who loves them and wants direct relationship with them? And of course, that's a rhetorical question. And the answer is the latter, right? This passage doesn't indicate that there's an instant harvest or that there's a perpetual harvest or that harvesting is all that we do. Um, it teaches that sometimes we sow and sometimes we harvest. Some people sow and other people harvest. That's what Jesus says is the true saying, some sow and others harvest. Or we might say, sometimes you're sowing and sometimes you're harvesting. Carbart says it this way, this is the truth of the distinction between sower and harvester. Not that one sows today, later another after a long time harvests, but merely that their persons and functions are different. Sometimes you're doing one activity, sometimes you're doing the other activity. They're not the same activity, and you're not doing them all the time. But they are happening at the same time. Sowing and harvesting are happening all the time, generally at the same time. Sometimes you're doing one, sometimes you're doing the other, depending on the situation, depending on what the Spirit is leading us to do with the person that's in front of us. Sometimes it will look more like sowing, and sometimes it will look more like harvesting. So, who are these sowers and who are these harvesters in this passage? Now, traditionally, um, we're, we're told that the sowers are the prophets and the, and the harvesters are the apostles. That's kind of the traditional Christian reading. Um, but that doesn't really make sense because the people that Sam is preaching to, um, they weren't familiar with the prophets. So the prophets hadn't sown anything into them. And the apostles weren't the harvesters because they were sitting on the sidelines not doing any actual harvesting. Sam was doing all the harvesting. So that's not really a good reading of this passage. Um, the more accurate reading of the text, I'm going to give you three levels of meaning here. I'm going to give you a textual reading, and I'm going to give you a theological reading, and I'm going to give you like a moral or an application reading, okay? So the, the textual reading. Uh, in the textual reading, Jesus is the sower. He's the one that sows. He has shared the gift of God with Sam and, and set this whole scene in motion. Um, you could extend that and say that whoever had taught her, uh, the you know, Moses would be one who had sown into Sam, and everyone who had taught her Torah had sown into Sam, and, and whoever had put in her heart and her mind to be anticipating Messiah had sown into her. Um, but Jesus is the one that comes and gives her the gift of God in that moment. When he shares that gift with her, that word that he has for her, that word of knowledge, that, that prophetic word, that insight into her life, that's Jesus sowing the seed, letting her that God loves her specifically, her particularly, her in that moment. That's what sowing seed looks like. And in terms of the harvester, Sam is the one who's harvesting. Jesus says in the passage, the harvester is already getting paid. He's talking about Sam. She has already gone to the village. She is already on her way back as they speak. One commentator I read said that Jesus could probably see them coming up, you know, up up the road if they were sitting like on a hill and, and the people were lowered down. He could probably see them walking up towards him even as he was speaking like, yep, here they come. The harvest is already coming in. Sam is the harvester. She's the one that's bringing in the bumper crop, not the apostles. Um, they're the ones who are now going to get to start doing the work that Jesus and Sam have already begun. So the others, you know, Jesus says, some sow and others reap. Others have done this work, he tells his disciples. Others have been doing this work already, and now you get to join in the work. 
Some translations will say you get to benefit and harvest, but that's not exactly what it says. What Jesus says is others have been doing this hard work, and now you get to come in and do their work. You get to join in. It's not your work. It's their work, and you're joining in to what's already going on. So again, Moses and all those who had passed down that way of life, uh, to Sam and to the other Samaritans who received the gospel and received Jesus, uh, all the people in that chain connecting. Um, you know, Moses had promised Messiah in Deuteronomy 18. So they were familiar with that passage and had taught that. And so everyone in that chain had been uh, connected to that. And more generally, you could say that the prophets for us, those of us who read the prophets and read the Psalms, we do receive uh, the seeds they sow into us as we understand uh, what they have to teach us through the Holy Spirit. Um and in that sense, you could say that the apostles are also the harvesters because they help us gather in. So that's what the traditional reading means. But it's not actually applying in this specific story. So I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that Jesus and Sam are in the center and the fore of this story. And if we, we generalize that to prophets and apostles, we, we lose something really important there. And, and then the next level of reading, a theological reading, Jesus is the sower. Jesus is always the sower. Anything that gets sown into someone's heart that communicates to them the love of God and the care of Papa for them, uh, that's Jesus sowing that seed. We get to enter into his work, but it's still his work. And the harvester, it's interesting because Jesus says, you know, there's another. He uses this word later on. We'll get to it later on when he talks about the Holy Spirit. He calls the Holy Spirit another paraclete, another advocate, another counselor, like in addition to me. So Jesus is the sower and the Holy Spirit is the harvester. Dale Bruner says it this way, the living God is the sower, working much harder than we ever are for our churches and cities and world. These glorious others love the world more than we do. All Christian work is pre-worked by capital O, others, by which he means the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of this work is done by God, and it's only done by us as we participate in the Trinitarian life, as we stand in the center, worshiping in spirit and in truth, living our lives as empowered by the Holy Spirit and enabled by Jesus in love and worship for Papa, and living out of that in such a way that we're spreading the seeds of God's love all around us, that's when we're participating in the work that Jesus and the Spirit are doing in sowing the love of God and in harvesting the fruit that comes from that. So 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says it this way, we are fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. We're working God's fields. We're building God's house. That's what we're doing. That's what we're about. We're participating in the work that is God's work. Jesus is the sower, the Holy Spirit is the harvester, and we are just the field hands. We are just the, the grunts doing the construction work uh, in service to the master carpenter and the master builder. So that's a theological reading. Now let me put this in terms that make sense to us for boots on the ground, a moral reading or an application reading. Jesus told the disciples to pay attention. I think this is the crux of the passage. The crux of the passage is not the fields are white for harvest. The crux of the passage is look up and pay attention to what is going on. Um, and they needed that word. They needed Jesus to say to them, look, will you pay attention? Because they totally missed it. They came back from buying food in town and Jesus is talking to Sam and they're like, why are you talking to this woman? 
they completely miss what's going on. If they had paused and listened and paid any sort of attention, hopefully they would have picked up on the fact that something significant was going on. Something was happening, something divine. Kingdom was breaking in. They were clueless to that. Sam goes all the way to her village and shares her gospel, shares the gospel with the whole town and brings them back. And the disciples are still sitting there like, we don't, we don't know what's going on. We're just, you know, we, we bought some, we bought some sandwiches and, and they were out of ships and I don't know. And then I don't know what's going on. That's the disciples. And too often that's us. Remember, anytime we read the disciples acting, acting um, thick-headed in the Gospels, we should think about ourselves and make sure that we're not that as well. So they needed to hear Jesus say to them, pay attention, look and see what's going on. What does this moment require of you? That moment required doing the work of harvest because others had sown and it was time to harvest. So what is Jesus saying to us in this moment? Is he saying that the harvest time is ripe? Or is he saying that the fields need to be plowed and seeds need to be sown? See, first of all, let me say this. Some of your translations will use planting instead of sowing, and that's not right. Planting a plant means you take a plant or I guess sometimes a seed, if you have especially a mechanical tractor, you like plant a specific seed or plant in the ground. That's not what sowing seed is. Sowing seed is scattering it here and scattering it there, and some of it goes in and some of it doesn't. Think about the parable. You know, some fell by the road, some fell on the rocks, some fell in thorny ground, some fell in good soil. That's a different matter. For sowing, you're just scattering it in all directions all the time. Okay, we're not specifically saving it. Well, I'm going to plant one here, I'm going to plant one there, and I'm going to share the love of God here, and I'm going to share the love of God there. No, no, we're sharing the love of God all the time, all around. That's the only way it works because we have no idea where people are. We have no idea what the Holy Spirit might want to do. It's not the case that there's a sacred moment here and then a sacred moment there, right? It's all sacred all the time, and we have to be treating it that way. So we're constantly scattering the seed. And that's a lot of the work that we're doing. And it's important that we hear that because we've been taught in evangelical circles to always be harvesting, to always be trying to bring people into our religious system, to get them to go to our church, you know, to, to always be working towards more attendance and, and more money and bigger buildings and all of that. Um, and we have to push back against that. It's common in this, in this text, in John 4, to read along with it, Amos 9, verse 13, which says this, The days are coming, announces the Lord. At that time, those who plow the land will catch up with those who harvest the crops. Those who stomp on grapes will catch up with those who plant the vines. Fresh wine will drip from the mountains. It will flow down from all the hills. And so we read that and we say, well, this is what Jesus is talking about. You know, the, the one harvest and one and one sows, it's all happening at the same time. It's instantaneous harvest. As soon as you sow it, boom, it's ready to harvest. But that's not what Jesus is saying. And, and that's not what Amos is saying. When we take verse 13 out of Amos 9 out of context, we miss the fact that the first 10 verses of Amos 9 talk about Israel's coming destruction. Uh, verse 10 says this, All the sinners among my people, all those who say nothing bad will ever happen to us, will be killed by swords. See, 
the time of restoration came after the time of destruction. The time of harvest comes after the time of sowing. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, nothing will grow. So it's part of the cycle. Harvest mode only is, is not a kingdom of God approach. It's actually sowing the toxic seeds of American evangelicalism. And this is part and parcel with equating the American spirit with the Holy Spirit. Now, we heard some politicians uh, this past week make the claim that the Holy Spirit and the American spirit are synonymous, are the same thing. Um, but they're not. And more than that, those politicians did not come up with that. They didn't create that connection out of thin air. Uh, some Christians have been doing that for many years now. And they've been using just this passage in John chapter 4 to carry on their program, right? That, that, that the church has got its own manifest destiny, that we should be constantly growing in numbers and in size and in income and in building size. And we should always be harvesting and never sowing. And that's a misreading of this text, and it's a misreading of the Christian life. And it's how the American church has operated in many circles over the last several decades. We have to be ones who sow when it's time to sow, and who harvest when it's time to harvest. And we have to depend on the Holy Spirit to tell us which is which, to tell us when we're a sower and when we're a harvester. And when we sow, we have to be scattering the seeds of Jesus. And those seeds come out of the fruit of the Spirit. Like if we live out the fruit of the Spirit, inside of that fruit are the seeds that we're sowing. Here's the seed I'm talking about in a nutshell. In a hazelnut shell, for those of you who will get the inside joke. Julian of Norwich says this, God made everything for love. The same love sustains everything and shall do so forever. God is everything that is good, and the goodness that is in everything is God. This is what we have to be sowing, especially now. Jesus told the disciples to look up and pay attention to what was going on around them. Those folks in Samaria were ready to receive the kingdom message of the goodness and the love of God because they had been prepared for it. The seeds had been sown. Um, later on in John, we'll see he gets to Jerusalem and those people weren't ready to receive it quite nearly as much as the people in Samaria were. But they didn't crucify Jesus in Samaria. They invited him to stay a couple of days and sent him on his way, blessed and fed and happy. It's not quite the same experience he gets even when he gets back home to Capernaum and then, of course, when he gets to Jerusalem later. So we have to pay attention to what's going on in our moment. So... What is going on in our moment? Um, what's going on right now? What do we see when we look up and pay attention to what's going on around us? Well, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back at point-blank range, a foot from his kids, for no reason other than he was a black man. And then Kyle Rittenhouse killed two people and maimed a third person, and then drove back home half an hour to his house on the other side of the state border with Illinois. And now he's claiming that it was self-defense, that he didn't do anything wrong, that he was totally justified in killing those people. And some Christians are coming to his defense. 
equating the Holy Spirit with the American spirit, as I mentioned before. That happened just this past week. That's blasphemy. No Christian can say that. That's blasphemy. People are arguing about whether Black Lives Matter or not. Uh, whether police killing people is a bad thing or not. People shouldn't be killed by the police. They shouldn't be gunned down in the street. That's not justice. That's never justice. People are arguing over wearing, ma over wearing masks, whether we should wear masks or not, whether we should take the effort to protect other people uh, from catching COVID. People are openly stating that 180,000 deaths is acceptable. That it's okay for a lot of people to die so we can get back to, you know, football or the economy get back to normal. It's not okay. It's, it's thoroughly jacked up, brothers and sisters. And I want you to know that I feel the weight of that. And I know that you feel the weight of that. And I've talked to a number of you this past week. And, and I know the hurts that you're feeling. And I know that some of these very same arguments have happened within our congregation. And it's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. So what is Jesus saying to us? He's saying, look up. Pay attention. What's going on? Is this a time of harvesting? Or is this a time of sowing? Both are always going on. But what are we called to in each moment? Here's some other things that happened this past week. Uh, we gave free groceries to 518 families. Uh, 1,709 people this past month with no strings attached. Um, I was really happy this past week. Everyone got a slab of ribs and a whole pound of real butter. It was so delicious. Um, we're building relationships with the folks that are coming. Some of them come each week and we're getting to know them. Uh, we've got Jacob out in the field parking cars and he has made friends with a number of them. As you know, Jacob is so good at doing. And, and we're falling in love with each other and it's, it's growing. We're building connections. We're building relationships with those people who are coming and waiting in line because they're hungry, because they need groceries. Uh, Leah is going to be teaching 50, 50, Five, zero, 50 kids in our neighborhood to read better this semester. This semester. Uh, by the way, um, she needs some volunteers. That was one of the announcements at the beginning uh, that I am going to repeat. Now, Leah needs volunteers, especially in the afternoons about 2, 3 o'clock. I think it's like 2.15 p.m. specifically is when they get out of Williams Elementary. Leah has built trust um, with the neighborhood, with the families that she served, and with the people that have heard how it's gone so far. And she's built trust with the folks at Williams Elementary. This is building the connection. This is sowing the seeds. So help out if you can, if it, you at all can. Please uh, email Leah and sign up for that. Um, her email address was on the screen. Make time for that if you at all possibly can. What else is going on? Jacob. Uh, and, and Jason and Ethan and Brent and Michael O'Malley are working together on a program 
uh, put together by Flagler College um, to 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 empower young people in our neighborhood. They're working on a program they're going to launch uh, next year. Jacob spent this past weekend brainstorming and going through some workshops with the folks at Flagler. I think it was on Zoom, um, but it was with the Flagler folks, and they're and they're you know giving him some resources and some ideas, and the team is going to come up with a, a really. It's going to be great. I'm so excited about it. So that's work we're doing, and that's going to build more relationships. That's going to sow more seeds. Um, we're helping Grace Marketplace care for the most vulnerable folks in our area, and that work is going incredibly well. We're planting a community garden. We are literally going to sow seeds. Now, we might do some planting. I don't really know how that works best these days. I'm not sure we'll be out there throwing seeds around, but we might. And if we can, I, I really I really, I would be excited. I want to take some video of that if we're throwing seeds around. That would be great. Um, and and y'all have put in tremendous work in the anti-racism workshop. Um, the folks that have signed up for that have gone through that, or we've got a couple of sessions left. You guys have done amazing work. You have done the you've done the the reading work, and you've done the emotional work. And I know it's been heavy, and know it's been hard, but you have stayed the course, and you've stayed with it. And I'm very grateful. And that is us lifting up our eyes and paying attention to what's going on. And I've had so many of you tell me, I had no idea. My eyes are open. This is exactly what Jesus is telling us to do in this passage. Open your eyes to what's going on. You can't do the work you need to do if you don't know what's going on. And so I'm so glad that we're opening our eyes and we're opening our hearts and we're preparing ourselves to do the work of anti-racism. We're preparing ourselves to sow those seeds by paying attention to what's going on. Y'all staying connected to each other uh, in the stay home groups. Um, I'm not trying to run through all the announcements, I promise. Um, <laughs> and you're staying in touch, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. I'm texting and calling with a, a lot of you, as many of you as I, can, as I can all the time. And people are praying for each other. They're encouraging each other. Um, people are using the, the, the private Facebook group. Keep doing that. Keep building the connections between us and keeping them strong, even though we're separated and apart uh, during COVID. Um, these are the things that we're doing. And, and as Julian told us, whatever goodness there is in all of this, that is God. God is the goodness in that. God is the goodness in each of these things. So this is how we're sowing the seeds uh, in specific target ways as a community. And I also want to encourage you to sow the seeds in your everyday, day in and day out life. Every hour, every day, you have opportunities to sow the seeds, to sow the seeds of God's love, to sow the seeds of Jesus. It reminds me of what um, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, he said, I remember him, he may have said this before, but I remember it after 9-11. Uh, he came on and he told us that in times of trouble to look for the helpers. Remember that? Uh, that whenever there's a tragedy or a horrible situation, there are bound to be some people who are taking care of other people. And if we can focus on them, if we can focus on the helpers, uh, then that will give us hope and that will help us cope with the enormity of, of whatever the crisis is that's at hand. Focus on the helpers. Pay attention to the helpers. And what I'm trying to say here is that this is the way we sow, and it's probably the way we harvest too, um, in this moment of crisis, layered upon crisis, layered upon crisis, this is like a seven layer casserole of crisis, um, is, is not only to look for the helpers, but to be the helpers. 
We need to be the helpers. We have to rise to the occasion and be the helpers. What does that mean? It, it means telling the truth. It does mean not staying silent. There's so much going on that we have to speak up about. That doesn't mean we have to post a hundred times a day on social media, um, but it does mean we can't not post at all on social social media if we're going to have a presence on there. So many things are not okay right now. Um, and we have to figure out how to say the truth, how to speak up, how to not be silent, and do that uh, in love and in hope, uh, not giving up, not being negative, not giving into fear and into anger, but, but letting our fear and our anger give us the energy, drawing the energy from those feelings and using the energy to keep on letting the goodness of God shine through us, to keep on letting the gifts of God flow through us like they flowed through Sam. So as I've told you before, if you see something that just boils you and you feel like you have to post, I'm not telling you not to post. I'm telling you, take an hour and pray about it. Pray about what you should say and how you should say it. And, and what does it look like to sow the seeds of God's love in that moment, in that situation. And then do that. Right? And, and if you get it wrong, delete it. And if somebody's ugly, delete their comment. It's okay to do that. I, it's okay to do that. You can do that. Um, I want to encourage each of us uh, to keep on sowing, to keep on bearing the fruit of the Spirit, keep on giving out those seeds widely and freely and extravagantly. I want the gifts of God to flow through us, just like they flowed through Sam to all of her neighbors. And, and it will include harvesting. There will be moments of harvest. As people respond to the goodness of God, they see coming through what we're doing and what we're saying, and, and they want to be in community. Hey, you tell them to come on. You know, send them a link to watch the live stream. Let's do life together. You give them my email address. I've had folks asking me questions. It's so fantastic. People are hungry to know the truth and understand how we move forward in faith past the toxicity uh, that has just infested the American church. And a lot of people have a lot of questions. And there is opportunity here to sow seeds of love and sow seeds of truth and see how those land and how they grow over time. That's the work that we can be doing. That's the work that we have to be doing. And when we do that work, when we meet folks where they are, when we tell them the truth in love, when we when we continue to, to fight to have hope and to spread hope, then we're joining in the work that the Spirit is already doing. We're joining in the work that Jesus has already accomplished through his life, his death, and his resurrection. I like how 2 Peter chapter 3 puts it. It says this, Finally, I want all of you to agree with one another. Be understanding. Love one another. Be kind and tender. Be humble. Don't pay back evil with evil. Don't pay back unkind words with unkind words. Instead, pay back evil with kind words. This is what you have been chosen to do. You will receive a blessing by doing this. And then verse 10 quotes Psalm 34, which says, Suppose someone wants to love life and see good days. Then they must keep their tongues from speaking evil. They must keep their lips from telling lies. They must turn away from evil and do good. They must look for peace and go after it. 
The Lord's eyes look on godly people, and he blesses them. His ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord doesn't bless those who do evil. Who is going to hurt you if you really want to do good? But suppose you do suffer for doing what is right. Even then you will be blessed. Then chapter Second uh, Peter quotes Isaiah 8, which says, Don't fear what others say. I'm sorry. Don't fear what others say they will do to hurt you. Don't be afraid. Let me say that again. Don't fear what others say they will do to hurt you. Don't be afraid. Second Peter goes on, but make sure that in your hearts you honor Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you have. Be ready to give the reason for it, but do it gently and with respect. Now see, there's another passage that's often used to justify using what they call apologetics to arm wrestle people into some sort of logical corner where they have to accept that the gospel is true. And what I'm telling you is that is garbage, and that is not at all what this passage means, and that's not at all what we do. That's not what this says. This is not like saying, well, you have to give someone, you know, the logic. First of all, their logic is horrible. Um, We'll talk about that another time. What it's saying is like when someone says, why do you still have hope? Tell them why you have hope. When someone says, why haven't you given up? Tell them why you haven't given up. And if you feel like giving up, tell them, I really feel like giving up. But I really feel like there is a God who loves this world. I really feel like Jesus has taught me to join in the suffering of others and be a blessing, to be a helper, to come alongside and to do the work of the kingdom gently and with respect. That's how we explain why it is that we have hope when it seems hopeless, why it is we love when we're confronted with hate. Sometimes people are going to ask you what you're doing when you're loving your enemies. That's a legitimate question, and it has a specific and kind of weird answer. That's what Peter's telling us to do. Not argue people, not arm wrestle people into faith. No. Tell people why we have hope. And we have hope because the Holy Spirit plants hope in us, as we've talked about before. So, some sow and some harvest. Uh, Sometimes we're sowing, sometimes we're harvesting. Both are happening at the same time because we're not alone in this work. Others have already been sowing. We're not the first ones here. We're joining in what's already been going on. And you never know when the moment will come when you speak up against an injustice, when you are caring for someone in need, when you are just loving on people. You never know when the moment comes where the goodness of God just shines through and the person connects and, and, the, and the, the balance is tipped and the person says, I understand it now. God loves me and you love me. And then you can move from sowing to harvesting. Then the, the, you know, the, the wheat you know, opens up and it's ready to be gathered in. That's when it happens. Um, and it does happen when it's time and when the work has been done. So I want us to keep doing the work. We can't give up. Jesus is still doing the work. The Holy Spirit is still doing the work. And we are too entering into their work and doing our bit to help out. So let's take communion together. I hope you have something to eat and to drink. That was again at the beginning. I should have mentioned that before now. And I'm sorry that I didn't. But whatever you've got, 
grab anything that you can put in your mouth and chew and swallow and, and it not go badly for you. I have a gluten-free cracker, which is as close to a traditional communion wafer as you can get. Uh, they said they were saltines. They are not. Um, but I will suffer for the kingdom. <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, as we take this, as you lift this up, as you get ready to put this in your mouth, as we do this together, this becomes the body of Jesus. We are the body of Christ, sisters and brothers. We are all priests. And as we consecrate this together, this is the body of Christ. We are joined to him. We are joined to each other. We are joined to our sisters and brothers around the world and across time and space in taking the body of Jesus. And so as we lift this up, what I want us to say today is, here's to sowing. Sometimes we're sowing. We're sowing the seeds of love. I love that song. We're spreading the love of Jesus. So here's to sowing. And as you lift your drink, whatever it is, hot or cold or lukewarm, it's fine. This becomes the blood of Jesus. And it's by the blood of Jesus that we are empowered to participate in the work. It's by the blood of Jesus that we know that joining in the suffering of others is what we're called to do. We can't look by while someone suffers. We have to join in because this blood is the joining in of the suffering. We drink this, we're joining in Jesus' suffering and the suffering of the whole world. So that's what you're drinking. So lift it up and do it and say, here's to harvesting. Because it's in joining in the suffering and in doing the work of the kingdom that the harvest is ripened and gathered in. Here's to harvesting. Let's pray. Jesus, the world is messed up. It seems like it gets messed up more every week. And our heart is so heavy. My heart is so heavy with what's going on across our country, and even in our own town, and even in our own community. We are being pulled apart at the seams nefariously. Lord, I ask you to thwart the designs of the enemy, to tear us apart, to create um, enmity between sisters and brothers to drive tensions upward, to fuel misunderstanding and hate. Lord, no to all that. I pray that we could hear what Peter was telling us, that we could join you and your Holy Spirit following Sam's example and sow your seeds. Bear your fruit. That we would have love and joy and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I'm not saying that we wouldn't be afraid. I'm not asking that we wouldn't be angry. There's so much to be afraid of right now. And there's so much to be angry about right now. But Lord, help us. We need your help to take the energy from those emotions and channel it into doing your work, into spreading hope, 
into calling for justice. I thank you for the things we've got going on as a church. And I pray right now for each person who listens to this, that you would compel them and lead them and guide them in doing that same work, to bearing the fruit of the Spirit, to sowing the seeds of Jesus, to spreading hope and justice and love and kindness and gentleness. Or to heal us from all the toxic theology and practice that we have been subjected to. Thank you for outposts like Gainesville Vineyard where this hasn't been the case. And I know some of our folks were spoiled because for many years they're like, that hasn't been our experience. But it's affected all of us. It's affected our nation. It's affected the Church of America. Lord, it seems the reckoning is coming. We ask for mercy. We ask for healing, for truth, for light, for a future. The first ten verses of Amos 9 breaks my heart. And the rest of the chapter gives me hope that even when you tear down, you don't abandon. And even when we plow a field, it's to be replanted. May we do the work of sowing. May we join in the work of harvesting as you lead us. And may we remember what you said we are never marking time. There are no wasted moments. There isn't four months between this event and that event. You are calling us to do this work every day and every hour. Help us, Lord. Help us to do that. Amen. All right, y'all. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. If you need anything, please reach out to me. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, after-school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word GIVE to 352-562-7771. All donations are tax deductible. We appreciate you listening to this message and pray the Spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today. God bless.